Welcome to Serviced Accommodation Secrets with me, Sally Kemba. This is the podcast where you get the on the ground experience that we're living and breathing with our serviced accommodation units. So you get to share our hacks and tips, our mistakes, so you can learn from those and thrive on our success. Thanks for tuning in. This time it it's my great privilege recently to interview Dylan Denicha and he has a massive vision to help others create a legacy not just for their loved ones and themselves but also for others and so it was really fascinating to find out how he came to be doing this and more about it so that you guys can actually uncover the practical steps that you too could take it's all very inspiring stuff so without further ado here is the interview enjoy okay so hi dylan it's my great privilege to be with dylan denicha today and we're actually at the mad millionaire method boot camp which is reinforcing lots of learning for me so thank you for joining us pleasure thank you for asking me awesome to see you so I've known Dylan for a couple of years and I've been learning all sorts of things to do with the foundations of creating wealth and with my podcast audience I've been helping them with things like cash flow uh, creating income in specifically service accommodation businesses Um, but also we have entrepreneurs in our group and so that's much more you know the monthly cash flow, weighing up your, your revenue and, and minimising your expenses, but still cre- giving great services. But obviously at the foundation of this, I've been learning from you all about creating wealth and how to allocate different ratios of what you earn into different areas. So that's so exciting and a whole new thing. So how did you come to be teaching this? How did you begin to learn this, Dylan? So. I guess the short answer is through mentors that I took on at a time when I was really struggling financially. And one of those guys was um, a guy called Keith Cunningham. And I met him at a Tony Robbins Business Mastery event. So the Robbins Business Mastery, I think is a five-day program. I got a guest ticket with one of uh, a platinum partner friend, brilliant. Met this guy, Keith Cunningham. And he just spoke so much sense about not just how to make the money but what he was really about was how to make sure that you're making the most of the money you're making and then you're protecting it as best as you can now interesting about Keith Cunningham is that he is um, he, he was so he's a friend of Robert Kiyosaki's and as far as I know he was the guy that Robert Kiyosaki turned to to write the first Rich Dad course. So Keith is in essence Rich Dad. So all of the principles around um, allocation and reallocation and passive income and making sure that you're um, you know, making the most out of the money you bring in came from Keith. Okay, you mean he's the Rich Dad in Rich Dad Poor Dad? That's what I heard. Aha! Uh-huh. Um, but you'll have to fact check that okay. before this goes out. <laughs> um, but that's certainly yeah, that's certainly what I heard. That he's the rich dad in the book, rich dad, poor dad. Um, okay. That bit I'm not so sure about. But certainly I'm sure about the fact that Robert asked Keith to write that first rich dad course. That's really exciting. So you're kind of learning from, in essence, the horse's mouth. So that was fascinating. Really fascinating time. 
Brilliant. And now you do all sorts of things. So for those of you who aren't aware of Dylan, um, because he's quite well known in the um, self-development arena, aren't you? You train speakers as well as speaking yourself. Um, You have various businesses, property, land, other investments, trading businesses. Did you plan to do this um, or did it just happen? So it was very much planned. Um, Now, that's not to say that the car wash and the dry cleaners and, you know, the the, the trading businesses were all planned, for example. You know, I never really had uh, intentions to be a dry cleaner. I never really had intentions (laughs) to um, uh, uh, own a chain of car washes. But those came as a result of a very structured approach to building what we now teach as a money machine, which is in, a, in, in essence, for every one pound of income you bring in, how is that income allocated to building wealth? So the goal was building our net worth okay. rather than just building our cash flow. And I think that's where most people um, kind of fall down, mm. particularly in our world, this, you know, this world of financial freedom, personal development, yeah. very few people talk about or focus on or care about net worth, right. which is really the only single measure of wealth is if you sold everything you own and if you paid off all the debts on what you owe, how much are you left with? That's the real measure of wealth. But what we find is that we are so addicted to income, we're so addicted to one level of consumption or another that we're always chasing our tails with respect to trying to make up for cash flow gaps. And so whilst we're concentrating on cash flow gaps, we're not concentrating on building real net worth. So my wife and I decided to go at this another way. I was 107,000 pounds in debt. And we decided to go another way, which was to say, look, if we're able to build net worth, if we're able to build real wealth and use that wealth to create cash flow, then obviously our debt will be managed in one way, shape or form or another. Yeah. And so that was kind of the broad plan. Of course, it doesn't always work out in exact accordance to plan. Um, But that was the kind of, I don't know whether you've heard that or or, or heard the story about, you know, there's a tree on the other side of the field and, Mm. you know, you can either look down at the ground and zigzag your way to it or you can just look at the tree and head directly towards it. Yeah. And that's kind of what we did. Yeah. That was always the end goal, a million pounds net worth from 107,000 pounds in debt. Okay, how do we get there? Yeah. And the cash flow really came as a product of working on our wealth. Sure. So one produces the other. Because would you say there's perhaps an emphasis really in the current climate, whether it's self-development or just business generally, of only focusing on income and cash flow and it's much more short-term looking? Oh, absolutely. Um, And that's the entire problem with how people are teaching wealth. It's a very one-sided perspective of wealth and in fact they use the word wealth yeah but but it's not wealth it's just income sure. and even this attachment to a financial freedom number you know you go to all these events and one of the first things they get you do is to visualize a future where you have this magic utopian amount of financial freedom you know yeah. you've got your financial freedom number five thousand pounds a month ten thousand pounds a month twenty thousand pounds a month whatever the number yeah. is and then what they do is encourage you, cajole you, condition you, educate you 
sometimes coach and mentor you yeah. into trying to hit that income number. Mm. But never is there any input on the other side. And I remember reading in one, one of the, the, the popular books, uh, I'm not going to say the name because I'm not here to discredit anybody's work, but just we, we certainly have to start picking holes in some of the paradigms that people are falling for. Yeah. So I remember reading in this book that said, look, if you want an Aston Martin and it's going to cost you $1,800 a month, well, you know, create some Google ads and start selling product on Google so that you can create $1,800 a month of passive income to buy your Aston Martin. Well, that is entirely the problem of society today is that we only ever really look at how much can we borrow based on the income that we have. We're not thinking about what can we afford to buy. We're not thinking about how can we get, how can we invest. Mm -hmm. What most people are geared up to do and conditioned to do is to say, I've got 10,000 pounds a month coming in. What, what finance can I get? Yeah. on the back of that £10,000 yeah. and that's not a conscious question that people are asking yeah. but it's a question that is answered through the habits that they create when people get a pay rise what's the first thing that happens they don't put that extra money into savings mm. or into investments they upgrade the car yeah. or what they upgrade what can yeah, I afford yeah. now and look here's the reality look we all like nice stuff Me I like too. to buy nice stuff we like to go to nice spas we talked about this yeah. last night you know <laughs> the only reason we're at the hotel here is because it's on the river so it's Ne- it is. It's next to the next to the heliport. It's mm. got a beautiful hydro pool downstairs. You know, so we like nice stuff. Yeah. And we like to buy good quality mm. things, and that's fine. But as long as your consumption is strategic, and what I mean by that is, for example, my wife and I have a goal, and we're not there yet, but this is our goal. We want to be able to live on one percent of our overall income across all the businesses through all the income-producing assets. Mm. Um, we want to live on one percent of our income. That'd be amazing. Oh, it would be absolutely phenomenal. <laughs> but of course, we also understand that if we want to live the kind of life that we feel we deserve, (laughs) that certainly we desire, um, (laughs) that certainly would be a reflection of the amount of hours that we put in and the work that we do, we know that we need a sum of money that is far in excess of what most people would consider reasonable. I I get that. Um, But rather than just working towards that sum of money, Mm. what we're doing is working towards that sum of money as a percentage of one as one percent of our overall takings that makes sense so what we're doing is not spending up to our entire limit every single month or every single year and that goes with our giving as well you know our giving is very strategic because i've been as you know in the past i've given away too much and i've I've caused myself cash flow poverty by giving away too much so whether you're consuming too much or giving away too much you still ending up in the same problem yeah exactly so there's several strands there really and because what I really like about what you teach is the very foundation that you're creating so lots of people might be listening to this and thinking well actually I just like enough money coming in to live on enough money for my family to make a difference to my life my friends and people I care about but also leaving a legacy for them Uh, but 
the very thing that you're teaching enables it at the smallest level to, you know, people have large incomes, big businesses now, that would really help them too. So it's a whole spectrum, isn't it? It is. And loads of people want to make a difference globally, but they feel too small to really do anything. So could you tell us a bit more about your Man Millionaire Method? Because it stands to make a difference, doesn't it? It and does. Also, you mentioned you were, you know, so far in debt, and that was partly because of your desire to give. Sure. So, um, I guess kind of going back to 2011. So, I got back in November 2011. I returned from uh, Rwanda in East Africa. Okay. Next to Kenya and Uganda. And um, I'd been out there volunteering for an organization called UNECA, the United Nations Economic Commission for Africa. And I decided at the time of volunteering for them that actually... Um, you know, I wasn't worthy enough to earn the income that I was earning, and I was earning considerable income as a consultant out there across East Africa in that time, um, in IT and in telecoms and finance. Um, in fact, we were in Zimbabwe in 2008-9 when they just had the currency collapse and they just switched over to the, uh, the, the, the greenback, the US dollar. Um, so fascinating time, but still only working for the 1% in Africa. And I'd gone out to work in Africa because I thought I could actually make a difference, use my skills to work with their tech companies and the whole idea was how do we use technology to bridge gaps between rich and poor but when I got there all that really was happening was I was just consulting for these huge organizations that were run by the top 1% that were staffed by the top 1% and I felt even more at odds with this idea of making money and making a difference because I you know in, in London it's it's fine you, you you're you're one you're top one percent but then you go out on the streets and actually it looks like everyone's top one percent except yeah. for a couple of people that are struggling are homeless and so on but you leave you know like a net one was one of the mobile operators in Zimbabwe that I used to work for and I'd leave the net one offices that were beautiful the tallest building in Zimbabwe oh, wow. in Zimbabwe in, in the Harare yeah in the capital and um, I'd walk out the net one offices and it, th- there was no let up no relief in the poverty that I was exposed to. Mm. So, do you see the disparity between making money and making yeah. a difference was even bigger there. So did there. your head in? Did my head in. <laughs> that's, the, that's exactly the right word. It totally did my fucking head in. And so I decided, okay, uh, this is not for me. Mm. And what I am going to do is volunteer my services yeah. for non-government organisations, for charities, um, you know, social impact projects that were looking to raise money. Yeah. And so I volunteered for UNECA. And that was fine, except that I didn't actually help them complete forms to raise money because as soon as I realised what they needed the money for and how desperately they needed it, it became a case of, well, I can borrow that money from a credit card or I can use an overdraft or I can even apply for a car loan whilst I was out there for a car that I had no intention of buying. And so I just thought to myself, well... I can, I can, I can fix your problem. You could do it personally. Yeah, yeah. rather than spending all the time. And that really came from when working with a guy called Frank on a chili plantation, and what they they needed seven thousand dollars for the an, an irrigation system for the chili plantation, and we're filling out this form, and you know I had this set of questions. To, to whoever I was helping at the time. And the, the questions were, number one, what's the chances of you getting this money? Number two, what's the chances of you getting all of the money? And number three, what's the chances of you getting any amount of money in time for what you for, for the thing you need it for? Yeah. Um, 
and in this particular instance, this was really hard hitting because you know the reason they needed the money was for the irrigation system, okay. which meant if they didn't get the irrigation system, they didn't get a harvest. Right. If they didn't get a harvest as they didn't the year before, mm-hmm. like really, the consequences that people die. Yeah. And this is this is not bullshit. This is not you know, but this is not bullshit on his yeah. part, by the way. He's not exaggerating the impact of not getting the money. Yeah. You know, this is a village with eighty families. They've got a, a, a bit of a small holding chili plantation. Yeah. You know, most of the villagers of working age work in the chili plantation. Mm. They use the money from the harvest to send the kids to school, to put yeah. food on the table, to buy uniform, to buy pens, pencils. Yeah. So the chili plantation is literally the source of life Everything. for 80-odd families. Wow. And the year before, because they missed the harvest, mm-hmm. they lost you know, a couple of kids at the bottom end of the age spectrum and a couple of pensioners at the old age of the spectrum. So it's basically life and death. Like it, yeah, literally, it, it literally is. Yeah. And it kind of makes you feel a bit sick, but it also helps you to understand just how much privilege we have and just how much power we have. Not just the fact that I could write a check for $7,000, but that's not the privilege. But the privilege that we have right now is that we have access to the vehicles that can create inordinate levels of wealth for us. But all we choose to do is to fuck around chasing bigger income, chasing more cash so that we can pay the finance on the Aston Martin. We spend up to the limit and so we're always chasing our tail trying to pay last month's bills Mm. this month and so we find that most people in the modern world who have got access to really solid wealth creation vehicles aren't able to take advantage of them because they're so busy trying to make up for their cash flow misdemeanors and that's not their fault by the way because the economy is designed in a way through planned price inflation and interest rate disparity the the economy is designed around consumption and the economy is designed to have 98% of people borrowing and 2% of people lending okay so when people are stuck in a cash flow situation the the reality is they're not going to get out of that cash flow situation by trying to increase cash flow alone no and also without changing habits it's that just over broke isn't it if you've got your job you're going to spend just a bit more than you actually have coming in and it's a whole mindset issue and you've helped me loads with my money mindset for sure and also with practical things that people can do so I think it's really exciting you know that you were able to start helping like that but how do you see them make a difference moving forward so expanding into how other people can help you make a difference so I realised at the time I was out in Africa kind of 2008-2011 we were very much particularly when I started working for the United Nations we were very much focused on the Millennium Development Goals they then upgraded to the Sustainable Development Goals so if you Google Sustainable Development United Nations, you'll come up with this list of 17 Sustainable Development Goals. These are the biggest challenges right now to people, planet, flora and fauna. If we don't address these challenges, then chances are we are heading towards some level of implosion. You know, we're heading for some level of self-destruction. And these are challenges like uh, whether it could be like gender equality, it could be sustainable cities, but then there's more basic things like food poverty. There's more basic things like life above water, life below water. So 17 really, really big challenges. And I started looking at those once we'd paid the debt off. So the £107,000 got paid off and you know we did a number of things in order to do that. And once the debt got paid off and I started feeling like I could breathe again, 
immediately my mind returned to well now now that we're back at zero <laughs> how can we start how can we start giving more money away and it's absolutely but like you say it's the habits that you yeah. build through a lifetime that really really fuck you over incredibly um, and so now we're at zero and immediately my mind is going to a place where you know how can we start giving again yeah and so I started exploring you know what are the current challenges um, I, I'd ignored for a good couple of years whilst I was paying that debt off I had ignored the charitable side because I'd left Rwanda in such a hurry yeah. I literally, literally ran away with my tail between my legs in essence deserting everybody I said I'd help out now I'd given all of my money away so everybody who I'd promised money to had money yeah um, I didn't have a return plane ticket I didn't have any money to get a return plane ticket um, I had a return ticket from Nairobi in Kenya which is the next country along but I couldn't get my internal flight so I had to use I had to basically hitch a lift with one of the coffee cooperatives that we'd helped anyway so when I got back to England I'd, I'd left I decided that actually giving right now for me is too painful yeah. psychologically because I don't feel like a I had an imposter syndrome about being charitable. Yeah. It was really weird. I didn't feel I could be charitable. In spite of everything that has happened. In spite of me giving yeah. everything away. Now I didn't have anything to give away. So how can you be charitable if you've got nothing to give away? But you needed to rebuild yourself. Didn't you? and, and I know your family. Right absolutely here. spot on. It was not just rebuilding my finances, but it was rebuilding my brain and the, the, the synapses that were firing off in my brain that said making money and making a difference are mutually exclusive. You can't be charitable and capitalist at the same time. Uh, you can't be somebody who wants to um, fly helicopters and private jets and wear £600 belts and drink $300 cups of coffee and at the same time really, really, really feel pain and give a shit about the people that have got nothing at the bottom. Mm. You have to be one or the other. Yeah, you're either Mother Teresa or you're Gordon Gecko. Right. <laughs> and in my brain, in my brain, that's how the world worked. Yeah. And I think that's why I had such challenges with making money and making a difference. Mm. It was when I got home that I, I'm, I'm, I'm sat on my parents' floor. My dad's standing up at the... I can visualise it like it was yesterday. My dad's standing up at the in the door frame of the living room. My mum sat on the sofa. And I'm sat on the floor in front of the window. And behind my mum, I can see my graduation photo, my sister's graduation photo. And then opposite my mum on the mantelpiece, I can see another photo. And it was a photo of me at six years old. That was, yeah, it's quite cute. Um, if I didn't know it was me, I'd think it was cute. But anyway, so that photo, um, it was taken in 1984, and it was a cutout from a newspaper, the local newspaper, okay. of me at six years old writing a letter to Santa Claus. And the story reads like this, that this six-year-old child saw in 1984 the Band-Aid, Bob Geldof, feed the world appeal mm -hmm. and something triggered in this six-year-old's mind that made him turn around to his parents and say um, I'm going to rewrite my letter to Santa Claus so I'd already written a letter to Santa Claus at school that week and I said to my parents I'm going to rewrite the letter and I'm going to say instead of taking this list of 10 presents I didn't just want one I wanted 10 instead of oh. taking this list of 10 <laughs> like the, the guy really wants it all yeah. wants his cake wants to eat it and then wants to share yeah. the thing as well um, 
so I wrote, rewrote the letter and said, can you send my presents to the kids in Ethiopia? Oh, wow. So my mum calls the appeal line and says, look, I know that you're collecting clothes and I know you're collecting money. Are you collecting toys? My son would like to send his toys over. It turns out that they weren't collecting toys, okay. but they really loved the story. So they sent the press team around. Okay. And the most important thing about this situation, this story, this incident, this moment in my life is that it resulted in a photograph that was then sat on my mother's mantelpiece and it was directly opposite I don't know if you can visualize like I've got in my left eye the picture of me at six writing a letter to Santa Claus yeah. and in my right eye I've got the picture of me having graduated in economics yeah. and like there's this my mum is sat in the middle and I'm at this, this, this exactly this moment that the realization came my mum is talking to me about and she's been a source of great counsel as has my dad I, I love them both to pieces they are absolutely the the, the the foundation stone of my success like a hundred percent I wouldn't be here without them and I remember my mum at the time explaining to me how you know wealth in in kind of uh, um, in in the Vedas if you like in you know, these 5,000 year old scriptures you know wealth was really about you know not about the the, the the, the coins and notes mm -hmm. but it was about the difference that you could make to the lives of other people it was right. about how you could contribute to humanity how you could treat people planet flora and fauna yeah. the same how you could really care about the environment that you were living in okay. like what is that if that's not the 17 sustainable development thing, goals yeah, exactly and that was the beginning of making the connection it was like okay i've got my mum here in the middle she's almost the bridge between the kid who wants to give his BMX bike away to the Ethiopians yeah. and the 21-year-old who had, in essence, lost touch with the six-year-old that yeah. was an absolute reprobate in those days, okay. um, but didn't need to be. No. And that, that was the beginning of reconciling my mindset around making money and making a difference. So coming back to the question, which is, yeah. you know, where is MAD and where did it come from? So it came from that reconciliation between making money and making a difference but then it also came from this feeling of absolute um, worthlessness around well the problem is so big yeah. and I am now so old that I don't have enough time to fix my situation and then to address any of these goals in, right. with any great magnitude and so what I need to do is use my skills of building wealth like yeah. if I've got out of £107,000 worth of debt it's by literally going, but, and most people never get out <laughs> no. of that kind of debt no. but if I've got out of it by following some really simple processes some yeah. really simple procedures sure. then other people can too and so my whole thing was okay I'd love to contribute a billion pounds to this sustainable development goals yeah but I know I'm not going to be able to do it on my own. And that's where the MAD movement was created. That's where Legacy Makers was created. And it was about saying, if I can get 10,000 people to £1 million net worth, and each of those 10,000 people can commit to giving £100,000 away once in their lifetime. So it could yeah. be 10 grand a year for 10 years. It could be £100,000 left to something in their will. 10,000 people giving £100,000 away is a billion pounds redistributed. Yeah, so that's kind of where it all came from. I think that's so exciting and I love it. And the fact that it brings everybody together because it is uh, the global goals. It's people who don't have enough water or education is really missing in so many areas of the globe, isn't it? But because we're so privileged where we are, but a lot of us have, you know, had money issues and money mindset issues. And I know I'm really good at giving it away and, and 
being an artist, I always had this terrible um, aspect of my money um, mindset, and I'd think, yeah, I just need to be starving in a garret because that's what artists do. So I really don't want to be doing that. So what you teach really helps because it's like, where does all this stuff come from in your head? But because you don't just have to think, oh yeah, I'll change my mind, believe something else. You actually have specific um, processes to go through to improve your financial situation. I think that's just so exciting. Yeah. And um, so I guess what I would say is how can people start shifting what their, you know, their current sort of cash flow focus towards the wealth creation? What, what steps would they need to take to succeed in this way? So... One of the first things we did, or I did, um, was address the big elephant in the room, which was my debt number. Right. Um, and, you know, I, I'd met Priya, my now wife. Yeah. Um, amazing influence on my life. And actually over the, you know, if I could say that my parents got me to the realisation, my parents got me to that stage where I built that bridge between making money and making a difference that day that I'd got back from Rwanda and was really broken um, but it was Priya who really helped me to take that realisation and then to make something of my life you know she believed in me when when I didn't even and she's believe in amazing. myself and she's, so she's, 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 she's phenomenal and she's got um, quite a different money mindset than you all did have didn't she, um, she yeah habits. she did have so what I wanted to do and, and this, this exercise really comes from the difference between where she was in her financial life and where I was so she'd never been in debt she had considerable savings mm-hmm. she'd worked since she was 15 mm-hmm. um, she'd saved hard she didn't ever overspend uh, didn't have a credit card now all of that caused us some issues when we then needed money to borrow no credit rating. yeah no credit rating but that's fine we, we fixed that now um, but because she had a very different mentality she she had absolute control over her life awesome. in every aspect and so I'd made this promise to her having realised how important the financial security was I'd made this flippant promise to her um, look I will have our debt paid off Mm -hmm. by some miraculous uh, process started labelling it as our debt Um, it was never our debt (laughs) it was my debt bless her she didn't ever say anything (laughs) about it but I I just said that look I'll I'll have our debt paid off Uh, before we get married. Awesome. But I knew that I wanted to get married to her really quickly, which meant I knew I needed to get this debt paid off quickly, which meant Mm. I knew I had to do it in the right way. I know chasing income doesn't work. Mm -hmm. So trying trying to get enough income or enough passive income or enough rental income or enough rent to rent income or enough income from my trading or enough income from any of these vehicles that we use to pay that debt was never gonna work. What I needed to do was change that number somehow. And this was not, and this was more luck than judgment. So I remember scribbling all my numbers down, you know, I'm adding everything up, it's logging into all the banks and seeing what I owe, seeing what I owe, and then I I come up with this number, and it was just a a fraction short of £107,000, it was 106 something something something. So I'm looking at this number thinking, oh my god, like that is a huge number to pay off, like I'm negative that, Mm -hmm. my repayments on that are around about £3,000 per month minimum. That's nigh on impossible to deal with in that form. Yeah. And anyway, so as I'm go- doodling, 
I end up doodling like a zero on the end like that and I'm just messing about and scribbling like this and all of a sudden like I'm just scribbling yeah exactly as I'm doing now okay and all of a sudden that 107,000 pounds of debt turns into a different number mm. it's now a million and seventy thousand pounds okay and all I did through the doodling was add a zero onto the end okay and I looked at that number and I could see my debt swallowed up in that number okay. but it was also a much more exciting number mm. this didn't now represent what I had to pay off no. immediately it represented what I needed to make in wealth like if I get to a million pounds net worth yeah. my hundred and seven thousand pounds of debt is going to be absolutely swallowed up in that and I sure. could see it visually yeah. so the first thing I would say to anybody is to do exactly that to add up all of your debt mm -hmm. and then add a zero to the number okay and make that your income target and I know we've talked about not having an income target but yeah. this is the, the crucial difference is this target now is 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 irrelevant of any time period yeah you know i don't want to create ten thousand pounds a month in passive income i don't want to create a million pounds in income in the next year yeah. all i know is if i somehow bring in a million pounds into my life yeah then i know my hundred and seven thousand pounds is going to be swallowed up in that yeah so here is then the realization after that yeah. it starts as an income target yeah but you then realize that actually creating one million pounds of income is even harder than creating a hundred and seven thousand pounds <laughs> worth of income <laughs> yeah? but it, that, this is exactly the realization yeah, that you yeah. get in your brain and yeah. it's like okay i need to find another way yeah. so what we decided to do was to say okay i'm gonna spend as long as it takes me to build a million pounds of net worth right and that's when we started going down the route of renting out rooms so yeah. I rented out my room my brother's room I then rented out about 80 rooms in my parents village <laughs> um, we then took on lease options right. now all of that of course is income based isn't it of rental rooms income yeah. lease options mm -hmm. income but what the lease options allowed me to do was to lock in net worth yeah so between 2011 and 2017 we locked in enough net worth through our lease options sure. that meant in 2017 the rental income from the lease options would have created the deposits yes. we then execute on the options there's equity in those options anyway yeah. so all of a sudden now we're buying houses for free having cash flowed them for six years mm -hmm. I'm buying houses at 104,000 pounds having had cat the rental income from them for six years yeah. I'm buying them for a hundred and four thousand pounds because that's what that was agreed in the lease option At the time market value on those is between 140 and 160 yeah and then in six months time after that I'm refinancing them at the new value the 150 right. and 160 yeah and pulling out 20% okay. of the 150 so I'm refinancing at 70 30 80 20 for example yeah. and I'm pulling all of that money back out sure. so it didn't it didn't happen overnight no and it wasn't a case of building the net worth in, in a year or two years no. you know it was a case of saying even if I can lock in a million pound net worth in six years yeah 
I know that in that time period while I'm working towards that, my debt will be dealt with. Yeah. Now at the same time, I did a whole load of other things. Carried on trading, created a course to teach people how to trade and show yes. people how I paid my debts off and how I, I planned to pay the debts off. Yeah. Um, we bought, we set up a gold bullion buying club. We did everything that we needed to do to not just build the net worth, yeah. but to protect the net worth as well. Sure. And that now is the mad millionaire method. Awesome. So other people can do this as well. And property, I don't know, because um, I've done lots of property training. I know quite a lot of people in the property um, community and some people are obviously quite well established, but some new people are like, how can I even begin to get my first property? And different methods but lease options is a really good one isn't it I if agree. you don't have um you know deposits already or jv finance that's such a good way of doing it especially at the moment because you're helping the vendors aren't you oh do you know i totally agree and, and as you said especially at the moment i, I get goosebumps oh. so as an economist you know i see all the big <clears throat> macro patterns the big big economic patterns yeah. that lead us to make certain conclusions, draw certain conclusions about what's happening in the economy. So there's a few things happening in the economy at the moment property-wise. So yeah. for a start, um, the sales cycle mm -hmm. is the longest it's been since 2013, i.e. Right. how long it takes a house to sell. Yeah. Uh, the rental cycle is also the longest it's been since 2013, i.e. how long it takes a house to rent out now. So mm. what you're finding is that properties are taking longer to let. Yeah because people are scared of moving. Mm. What you're finding is that pe properties are taking longer to sell because people are scared of moving. Uh, and people don't really know whether prices are at peak, whether they're gonna collapse. There's still stuff going on, and I speak yes. to a lot of the brokers and the solicitors, and they're still putting deals through, but most of them are commercial, not residential. Sure, okay. Now, what that means is that the market is slowing down, but possibly not enough to warrant not doing anything at all. No. It's slowing down just enough for it to become now a buyer's market. Yeah. So we now are going back into lease options. So our first goal to hit this million pound net worth was to say, right, let's just secure 25 lease options. Sure. We're working with a bunch of people now to say, okay, over the next six years, how can we secure you a five million pound portfolio with a million pounds of equity using lease options? And that's, mm. that's now going really well because the market is ripe for lease options. You know, when you go to a, a, a potential when you go to a landlord who's got a property for let yes. and it hasn't been let for three or four months and 12 to 15 weeks is about the cycle mm. so that's three months of rent potentially a thousand pounds a month yeah they've all already lost three thousand pounds worth of rent so when I go to them and say I'll take that property for six years from you yeah plus I'm gonna give you at the end of that six years today's market value plus 20% so we always yeah. give them more than today's market value mm. plus you're gonna get 72 months worth of rental income and no maintenance charges yeah. or voids a lot of people so now are saying yes pain, whereas a year ago they weren't saying yes no. because it wasn't quite the right time no also we've had you know section 24 starting to hit landlords more probably have more tired landlords and also I don't know it's a whole <clears throat> excuse me generational thing isn't it so with the price of houses there's a whole um, move of people who are thinking how am I ever going to buy a house I'm going to need to rent but we've got Brexit and there's so much uncertainty isn't there 
and it's like we're in limbo. So I think lease options is a great solution, sort of moving forward and thinking about people in our community, SA operators, who want to secure properties and solving a problem for them because they have a property to run their SA business in and solving a problem for these landlords. And some of them might be a negative equity or they might be having a net loss monthly, mightn't they? Absolutely. So, uh, this sounds really exciting as well. So. Yeah, it really is. And the other thing about lease options, certainly from, from my perspective, is what we want to be able to do, so I'm quite well plugged into the property communities, you know, sure. so, you know it's how you and I met. Uh, and one of the things I'm already seeing, have seen for the last five years, is people in property um, really exposing themselves to huge downside risks, but without really understanding it. Because uh, what they're doing is building portfolios, for example, yeah. um, even maybe on lease options, yeah. but without doing anything else in their wealth life, if you like, okay. to hedge against the potential that if the market turns in a different direction, mm. um, sorry, not they're not doing lease options, buy to let's for this. And we're going to use lease options to help them get out of the mess. That's what I, was, that's what oh, I meant to okay. say. So they're doing buy to lets, they're pretty high leverage. Maybe they're making small margins on a buy to let, mm. or maybe they've got a massive rent to rent portfolio and they're not making huge margins on it, but no. they're just cash flowing it. Okay. What will happen to a lot of these landlords will be that when the market turns, mm -hmm. they're going to be stuck. Because they're only doing property. Because they're only doing property, okay, so they've got, yeah. got nothing to hedge. They can't liquidate a gold holding no. to, to float their property portfolio when they need to. Mm. So, you know, what we're doing, and, and we've already put the word out, um, I've done a lot of talks at you know, the keynotes across the country at the, at the property meets, is to say, look, if you find yourself with a portfolio that is causing you trouble maybe you're not able to cash flow it or maybe you're not able to meet the new standards in terms yeah. of licensing standards for refurbs and yeah, you need sure. to get rid or maybe even when the crash comes mm. and the bank knocks on the door to call in the debt yeah which it can do and i know a lot of landlords that will have gone to the Especially wall if you're with one bank That's absolutely really bad, all it? of your lending is with one bank <laughs> yeah. and they see you as you know a, a, a not very sensible borrower <laughs> Then they're going to call the debt in. Well, at that stage, that's when we will come in and say, look, Sally, we can take the entire portfolio on. We'll take it on on either a lease or a lease with an option to buy. Okay. We'll cash flow the portfolio. So we'll take the supplement. And we, we've got the systems in it to, to run most portfolios more efficiently than most other landlords do, okay. especially the smaller landlords that will be susceptible to this. And then at the end of the six year period, we'll either have an option to buy and we'll take the whole portfolio off your hands, yeah. or if you want it back, we will have saved you from bankruptcy, we will, have, we will have got you out of the first six years of this downturn, yeah. and at the end of six years, we will have cash flow, so we will have done great with it, and at the end of the six years, you get your portfolio back. That's so, awesome. oh, we really want to help landlords. I mean, honestly, I've not heard anyone talk about doing that kind of thing before at all, so I love that. Thank you. That's so cool. Brilliant. So, what do you think really is the main thing that's going to be instrumental for businesses moving forward in potentially a downturn we don't really know because brexit's got us in limbo but what do you think is the key thing that people can do who are either setting up in either an entrepreneurial or property business um, or they already have one what's the key thing do you, think? Do you know i think the single best thing that you could do for your long-term wealth mm. is to understand how to allocate, how to reallocate, is to understand the relationships between land and property, gold bullion, and 
trading. And when I say trading, yes, I mean trading the markets, but yeah. I also mean trading in business. So a serviced accommodation portfolio is a trading business. Sure. A rent-to-rent portfolio yeah. is a trading business, isn't it? Yeah. You're buying something at one price, you're selling it at another price. So what we need to do is understand the economic relationships between land assets or land and property assets, bullion assets yeah. and trading assets so that now you can start to really protect yourself against a downturn yeah. but also you can maximize your returns across all three asset classes and I'm, I keep it really simple I'm pretty stupid when it comes to most things so I know that you know I don't want a complex stock portfolio I don't want to hold bonds I don't want to hold money in uh, you know a million different vehicles no we keep it really simple because I know when the crash comes I know exactly what we'll do you know I know that we'll liquidate 15% of the gold holding to float the property portfolio if we need to. Yeah. I know that if we need to buy ourselves out of the leases for the dry cleaning company or the car washing company, then I know that we'll be able to buy ourselves out of those leases using the liquidated bullion money. Yeah. And that means that we don't screw over the equipment company for our dry cleaning business mm. or um, the, 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 the site owner for our car wash. You know, So yeah. we already know now what we're going to do when the crash comes. Yeah. And that's only through an understanding of the economic relationship between the different asset classes yeah. and by keeping it simple. So if you can if you can get to grips with those relationships yeah. and that happens very quickly it's not complicated if I can understand it anybody can um, then you start thinking in the right way you start thinking like a wealth creator yeah. instead of chasing 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 the income yeah. only to realize that the crash came you never made the money the income never came you never hit your financial freedom target you lost your service accommodation portfolio because you couldn't keep up with the payments you lost your rent to rent portfolio because you couldn't keep up with the payments you lost your buy to lets because you couldn't make any money on them yeah. you know and this is what happens to people yeah um, and, and it's a real misnomer to um, just do one thing this, this is a very dangerous thing to do like that is all of your eggs in one basket and even if you're doing multiple property strategies it, you're still your entire life is in one asset class yeah I just think that's a really dangerous thing to do and, and I do think you know I, like I said we're not here to discredit um, any other companies or names or brands you know by name but as an industry I do think that the financial freedom world I think it gets more people into more poverty than it does people into financial freedom and I see that day in day out and how the fuck can that be right it's not not good is it no, no. so basically you're saying these structures are easily learnable by people and then they can set their foundations for moving through yeah the absolutely because yeah. so. once you understand the economic relationships then you build a money machine based on those relationships yeah. and then if you think about the money machine like a slot machine yeah you know every pound that comes in you drop it into the top of the machine it allocates it for you yeah. you know into all of your different allocation ratios and this isn't like you know I'm not talking about six buckets where one bucket is for your fucking family holiday I'm talking about allocation um, asset allocation yeah. yeah so it drops it into the allocation now this is the exciting bit now you've got your machine built yeah. Go out and chase all the income you want because yeah. you know that every pound you bring in is going to drop so into the money machine. Bigger. Correct. So, and it will compound um, 
removing your debts as well. So you know, you've got a debt destroyer model. It and just will. So. Yeah, it just will. So Brilliant. there's so much you can do, but the foundation is understanding these economic relationships and understanding that without allocation and reallocation yeah. and, and, and some level of diversification, yeah. when the crash comes, yeah. you better brace yourself. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think with these solutions, I think there's lots people can do now um, and, you know, actually get sorted out for yeah, us really so they're ready so. and actually you take advantage of opportunities but in a great way because you're obviously really into helping people and it's just fabulous to hear all about this thank you is there somewhere where people can find out more about what you do so do you know as as we're talking I'm thinking mm-hmm. um, www.makemanagemultiply.com okay is our um, it's a very simple, very crude, very basic page okay. for what is essentially a phenomenal three days training. It's called the Mad Millionaire Intensive. Okay. And we go through exactly how to build the money machine. So what we ought to do, you and I, mm-hmm. is figure out um, some kind of coupon code for that. It, it is, that's a £2,000 plus VAT training. Okay. Um, it's not a sales event, so you don't no. get sold other courses, you know, yeah. you pay know your money. Yeah, like, me, yeah. Where's the upsell? Oh, there wasn't one. Oh, you were on it, of course, of course, of course. yeah, yeah. Exactly, yeah. there's no upsell. Um, so this is a this is a, a, a truly content-driven program. Yeah. Um, but of course, if there are people struggling for cash flow, £2,000 plus VAT is probably not it's what they're gonna be able to find. No. So there's this kind of chicken and egg situation. Well, yeah. Dylan, like, do I raise my income to pay for the course or do I pay for the course and get into what say here's what we'll do why don't you and I create some kind of a coupon code specifically for this community where we can do we can potentially do that three-day event almost at a day delegate rate so we'll do the three days at say 500 quid just to cover our costs and at least that means for your community um, you know a small investment of 500 pounds plus that will get them the three days and then we can really dig deep with them um, and we can set up some support infrastructure for them. We yeah. can set up a WhatsApp group for your people. Yeah, because the support moving forward is yeah. really important, I think. Very. You sort of learn all this stuff and it's like, yeah. now what? But actually working through it, it makes so much sense. Yeah. But I think the support's awesome. I agree. So yeah, makemanagemultiply.com. And I guess um, we could use the... We can use the coupon code... Yeah. Mad Sal. <laughs> 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 um, yeah, I mean, we could. I can get Gemma to set that up. Okay. Um, so that will do a, a, a massive discount. So if we go MAD, I like that. My lovely Sal. MAD SAL is the coupon code, and that will take that ticket price right down to £500 plus that. Um, and we can also do some other stuff. We can put on some free webinars and all sorts for the community. But yeah, getting this message out, getting this information out, this content out um, is critical for us. It really is. Thank you. Can I just do an ending bit now? So, Dylan, it's so exciting to hear about everything that you're doing and how you've come to this point and how actually people can make themselves really strong in their financial foundations, really support and help their families and their friends, do the things they love and also make a difference globally. I mean, actually, it is real and it's just brilliant to speak to you about it. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you so much for the invite. Very grateful. Thank you. Thank you, my darling. Wicked. Thank awesome. you so much. Thank you. Useful? Yeah, really Wicked. good. Well nice done, and long. Well done, you. Thank everyone. Oh, you're a star. Sharing the secrets of success.